The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to our first true post-deadline show. 15 and 60 mailbag on the Easter Commerce. We wanted to see what y'all wanted to discuss with the trade deadline in the rearview mirror as we refocus on the rest of the season and the championship chase. So, of course, that leads us in alphabetical order to the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> the Hawks are 24 and 29 on the season, 6 and 5 since our last 15 and 60. Negative 1.4 net rating is 21st in the NBA. They are 10th in offense per quitting the glass, 27th, yes, 27th in defense. And then ESPN's BPI projections have them at 38 and 44. That would be the nine seed. So in the play-in, despite being six games under 500, and gives them a 26% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they've been playing a little bit better lately with DeJounte Murray, who's actually been very solid, particularly when Trey's been off the floor this year. Yeah, I mean, Capella, DeJounte, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he had, he had a big game in their win against the Rockets on Saturday, uh, 30, 34, 6, and 7, I believe. And Clint Capella is out now with a groin issue, probably through the All-Star break. So our, our first question here, we're a little light on Hawks' question. So if we're light, we just don't have to discuss those teams quite as much. But a game acknowledger says, please talk about the trade disrespect, the distrespect, as he calls it. I presume that's involving Trey Young not making the all-star team. And yeah, I, well, I mean, just in general, you know, he, he when you look at his counting stats, you look at some of the offenses that he's helmed, although maybe less so this year, he profiles as a guy who's got it as, you know, maybe he's not at that absolute top realm of, uh, you know, a Luca or a Shea or a Steph Curry. But why isn't he talked about in kind of the next breadth of guards behind them, I think is the greater feeling than him just not making the all-star team, which I yeah, had him so, on many other years. I did not have him on this year. So maybe like the idea of why Halliburton gets so much pub, because remember one of the deficiencies yeah. with both those guys is their defensive limitations. And for Trey, I think part of it is that his game involves as much as it helps the team's offense and his own involves so much grifting where that, that, you know, that, that isn't exactly the dominance that, leads people to get really excited though he is extremely good at it and what makes Trey a little bit different is that he he has helmed a team that made the conference finals like that is something he has done that a lot of these other offense first talented young guards have never done but for some reason he doesn't get individual credit on that because in part the Sixers falling apart and everything else even though Trey Young was a huge factor in that in the drop coverage that they were deploying that didn't work against him and everything else so I think part of it is play style, and I think part of it is like a 
a discounting of his accomplishments, which are superior to other people's, but for whatever reason, that doesn't count. I, I think there are a number of reasons. Just his his overall personality. I think that people who play with him don't really seem to like playing with him that much. Uh, that archetype of just going to totally dominate the ball all the time, not really do much off the ball, not give his teammates that many touches, and then oh yeah, you gotta also cover for me every single play defensively. He has tried harder on defense; it hasn't really showed up much uh, in their overall numbers, though. And still, every single team goes after him at the end of the game. And so, you know, he's not an athletic dominator. His number one skill is his passing, which I actually, I think passing, as much as people are like, pure point guard, pure point guard, passing actually is like still kind of underrated. uh, Agreed. The... Particularly the type of passes that he throws, where it's just he's getting guys dunks all the time, and he also he's not a really a dominating scorer necessarily, and there is the grifting aspect as well. So you, you throw all those things in, and also I think he's just he's been around for a while, and he hasn't like he's a guy who it seems like had his best, maybe the best moment of his career will be the twenty one getting the twenty one Eastern Conference Finals. At which point he then got injured and wasn't able to continue that run, unfortunately, because those playoffs were just batshit insane. And so I think there's a feeling of stagnation both for him and the team. It's pretty clear when you just look at the team results that a team with him as its best player, like it's not like they've had bad talent around him since then. Like that, their second best player is, hasn't been an all-star, but they've had solid teams. And to be kind of a Ron 500 since then, I think there is a feeling that, yeah, he's not a guy who's going to lead you into the second round of the playoffs most time, which is fine. Uh, now to not even make the all-star team, like the Hawks are under 500. You know, that's, that's a big part of it too. So then we got a question from Lance Lehman. If you're Landry Fields, what roster changes are you targeting to make the offseason with the goals of number one, improving the team, number two, most importantly, staying under the tax? And it's important to emphasize that in most but not all circumstances, those two goals push against each other because for the Atlanta Hawks, they're they have a, you know, a reasonably talented roster. Like they're 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 more deep than they are load like loaded. You know, the idea like they have a lot of good players, but they don't have a lot of dominant players. But they also don't have a lot of bad salary. And they're going to have some very limited resources in terms of like team building because they owe basically their their first round. They two picks at a swap into the Spurs and the John St. Murray deal. So Saving money for them is primarily a team weakening situation because they, you know, there isn't a clear cut way for them to like lop off 15 million and have that not be getting rid of a player who could conceptually help them. So, you know, there, there are teams in the past that have done that where you could throw a couple of picks, whether it's first or seconds, depending on how bad the player is and how bad the contract is to do that. And so for the Hawks, the other huge problem, and I mean, they're not as impacted as, as, you know, sidelined by this as the second apron teams is that it is pretty difficult to improve when your team is really expensive. Like, for example, we're talking about the rep, we're talking about the Hawks cutting salary, not like using the non tax pyramid level, even if I don't have like a great target for them this year. So the clearest path to improving in my, 
to that respect to me would be a reorganization, hopefully finding value for players that aren't as important for you. So maybe that's moving one of their centers for a perimeter player who more aligns with what they want to do. Like there are still teams that are interested in Capella, or maybe it's a Nico Kongwu because he's younger and you could do that. Or maybe DeJounte Murray, who is having a good year. And like, if it's, if it's 23, 24 DeJounte Murray, moving him is different than moving, 22-23, where the team just didn't hold their water when he was on the floor without Trey. So I I have trouble seeing how they can accomplish both of those goals, given their specific construction. Yeah, Capella would be the guy to try to move. Maybe it's more palatable with him making 22-3, but in the last year of his deal, he's just about to turn 30. He is having one of the better offensive rebounding seasons ever, but I think he's really slowed down on defense. That's part of their... He's not the guy who can cover up anymore. If you look at the teams that just have cap space just to take him, none of them really need a center, even if it is on a a one-year deal. So it's hard to anticipate how they're going to get a ton of savings with him. As of right now... If you lop off Sadiq Bay, assume that they're going to get a draft pick maybe around number 10, then they're looking at being basically right at the tax. Uh, and I don't think they want to lop off Sadiq Bay. He's probably, uh, we'll see how he plays the rest of the year. I mean, maybe he just is not going to have much of a market. Maybe he kind of comes back on a, a Kelly Oubre style, kick the can down the road, sort of two-year deal. But yeah, who is the like the who are the guys who have positive trade value? Okongwu, but obviously they they need him. Dejounte Murray, Bogdan, and probably Trey. So if you want to just move a guy into somebody's space, it's probably got to be one of those gentlemen who's getting moved. You also could throw in maybe a Kobe Bufkin or AJ Griffin as a sweetener. Although AJ, like, we'll see whether either of those guys actually play the rest of the year. That might like finding out a whether you can count on those guys or b whether you want to move them before they just completely lost all trade value are important things to do. And in terms of getting better, I and if they move Dejounte, then they need a two because they need more shooting. And it sounded like they wanted draft picks back for him as well, which then maybe you flip to go get somebody else. But like DeJounte, as much as the he, it hasn't worked with Trey and as much as they shouldn't have thrown all their eggs in on a player like him, he still has a lot of talent. Like he still is filling up 35 minutes a game as their second best player that they would have to fill. So yeah, they got a, a lot of things to do, but it probably has to be through moving DeJounte. Maybe you don't just trade him for nothing. Maybe you can trade him for a guy who can help you a little bit. Uh, I mean, Bogdan is like incredibly important to what they're doing, but he's older at that point. But like they, all of his 25 minutes a game, they need him out there to shoot the ball. And um, be a secondary, at times, primary playmaker, that which is something that they would sorely need if they traded yeah. Bogdan. What right, idea right, like, like what if they – but then, but then, of course, the problem is they also need defense at the two, <laughs> which is what sure. they're bringing into Johnson. Like, uh, or maybe a, another really high-level defender – at the three, I mean, I think if New Orleans is interested in DeJounte Murray, that trying to get back one of New Orleans wings, now New, the, you probably have to get a third team involved there too because of the salary matching, right? Like New Orleans is very impacted also. But they those seem like natural trade partners, New Orleans and the Hawks. And then though, what happens with CJ McCollum? Like, could he be someone that they would bring back in? Like he's probably making too much. But yeah, getting 
Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, Jordan Hawkins would be a very nice fit in Atlanta. So I like those. If New Orleans is interested in Murray, which I'm not quite sure why they are, honestly. Uh, but if they're interested in him, I think that would be the route I'd try to go. All right, that's probably enough on the Hawks here. Let's yeah, get one to other quick Celtics. thing I'll throw right. in. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to package Ten and Capella to see what they can get, but I don't think it's going to be a huge upgrade. Like, the, I think I think Landry Fields will have those conversations. I just don't know what they will. The Boston Celtics. Yeah, but by the way, that was like their, their entire offseason outlook we just tried to do. So two questions on the Hawks, but uh, yeah, we had to. I felt like we weren't doing it justice, so we went for a while. But yeah, Celtics. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Celtics, 40-12 and 12 on the season. 8-2 since the last 15-60. Number one on offense, number three on defense. Or sorry, number three on offense, number three on defense, number one in total net rating, plus 9.3. Projected to have the best record in the NBA at 62-20. and 20. They are going to make the playoffs. And I want to start just briefly with this question from NBA addict GR. Uh, why do you think the Celtics didn't make a move to facilitate trade with Grant Williams' trade, traded player exception? Because it would have been incredibly expensive for them. And... To the well, well, and they did use some of it to get Tillman, I think. They, oh, I no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, they did. No, they used it for uh, they used it to get uh, Springer. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. So, OK, so that you have that. And then the other part is like, yeah, and that and that exception was only like six and a half million or something, too. So, yeah, so they did use it. Uh, it did the, yeah, they just so, didn't really get better, but they also got matching salary. And I think, you know, a guy who has some athleticism in defense that they hope to develop. Yeah, but like the Celtics for 24-25, and they added Springer to that, and presumably if they retain Xavier Tillman, he'll he'll have a price tag too. Like they're a very expensive team for this year. They're an even more expensive team for next year, assuming Drew Holiday is still on the on the roster next year. So, not not every trade exception gets used for various reasons, but one of them is just like it the the marginal cost versus the marginal benefit of that player. Uh, Celtics crunch time numbers and why are they better this season despite the constant discourse uh, around it? I do think it, Jason Tatum had an interesting quote. I can't remember who it was that they lost to. Maybe it was, no, it wasn't the Lakers game, is it? But he basically, maybe in the Nuggets game where he's like, we don't lose very often. So when we lose, it seems like a disaster. And I think there is something to that. Uh, Celtics are 16 and 8 in the clutch. This is per Seth's uh, proprietary stats, which are available, of course, uh, in your daily dunked on prime emails. Uh, but they've only won 0.4 more games than expected in the clutch. Now, part of that is because they're just a good team generally. Good teams generally win more in the clutch. And that also 
Seth's clutch stats, unlike the NBA's, account for where you are entering clutch time. Like you're probably, I think, like an 85% chance of winning if you're up five versus only a 15% chance of winning if you're down five as a neutral team entering those last five minutes. So the part of the reason that they've been, quote unquote, better in the clutch is that they're just in better position entering the clutch than normal. But the other thing you can point to is just that they have more options, steadier hand, better spacing. Porzingis, I think, has really helped them. So that's the biggest things that that I would point to. They also have a bunch of close losses to good teams. And you could say, hey, that's okay. You know, you um, you played those teams. And like, so for example, they lost to the Nuggets. We talked about that game. They lost to Philly and Minnesota back to back early in the season, both of which were incredibly close games. And so you do have that idea of like, can their offense break down? And so it ties in with something that I've said for years on the Celtics, it would be very, I, I, the problem with splitting this is that you get into sample sizes that aren't really usable is like, how have they done in the clutch against good teams versus how have they done in the clutch against everyone else? And as you mentioned, the starting position does matter a lot here. So like, I, I think the Celtics have been better. I think they've done a nice job overall. It's hard to deny that, but have they in the games that I've watched, which generally are against the better teams, because those are the ones that I consider relevant to like my analysis that their some of their offensive limitations have really been there. And so, you know, we're going to have to see it in big moments against big teams. Would you take Boston or the field to come out of the East, says uh, Alex Klatsky? I would take the field for a couple reasons. One is just the variance that could happen with health and everything else. Boston is a deep team, but one or two injuries misplaced for them. But let's say you knew that their top six were all going to be playing because it's kind of not really that fun to try to price in injuries. Because I, I do think not only are they a really good team, but they... You know, the idea of like beating three different and usually it's two different capable opponents that, you know, could have different styles like Boston is well suited for that, especially with the uncertainty involving the 76ers. I would take them over, over the field if I if, if we promised if we promised health I would um, I, I might even do it anyway I said just wow. the rest of the rest of these East teams are just really unimpressive to me now I, I think there's an argument still even that Boston as an ensemble cast not having the best player in a bucks or possibly sixers series uh now I think the Boston though in any series except going against the bucks they would have the best player right and they obviously have the best supporting cast too. There aren't many players better than Jason Tatum in the East. I mean, and the 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 yeah. If Joel Joel, I mean, I mean, I thought, Jimmy Butler could be depending on how Miami okay. where, yeah. where Miami gets into it. Yeah. Um. But no, I, I think I I think I would take Boston uh, over the field as it stands right now. If you do, I, I mean, even Phil, like Philly's not beating them. Even even they with the help, I don't think their they overall talent enough. levels enough. Yeah, they don't have enough. I don't think. I mean, it would really. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what players would you chase in the buyout market for Boston? Uh, probably nobody, honestly. Uh, and they're also they're limited in terms of who they can sign because they're over the first apron. So I don't think I would really be. I don't know who who am I forgetting that they should go after in the buyout market. I mean, I think I'd, I'd rather uh, – I wouldn't pay the money necessary to do it. I think I'd rather have like Furkan Korkmaz than Spee if you're going after that archetype, like a straight-up shooter. Yeah, I mean like you know, Joe Harris, they already got uh, – well, and they can't get him anyway. He was making too much. Too much. Yeah. I, I mean Korkmaz, I don't know. He, like he's proved I, I think that he can't help Philly over the, the last few years. All right, that is uh, that is time on the – 
Boston Celtics. But yeah, I don't I don't think there's anyone that I look at as a you know, maybe Otto Porter, if you could get him healthy, could give you something. He's making mm-hmm. less less than the mid level. That that actually might be an interesting one. The Brooklyn Nets are twenty one and thirty one on the season, four and six since the last fifteen sixty, nineteenth in net rating, and they're around that in both offense and defense. Nineteenth in offense, seventeenth in defense. Uh projected finish just outside the play in thirty four and forty eight by BPI, five percent chance of making the playoffs. And I'll do this one quickly from T. Whitby. Would you try and trade Ben Simmons for an upgrade using his salary and assets or just wait it out? I would wait it out because he's clearly a negative value on his contract. So that means that you're you're having to give up assets to offload him in that deal. And then if you're trying to upgrade, like it's just and there aren't that many. Yeah. truly. But, bad but, well, we'll see. Like, you know, he could be matching salary for like a Donovan Mitchell at next year's trade deadline sure yeah that's that's the kind of structure that you could potentially use but if like in the off season i think it's going to be hard and the other element of it is that brooklyn will see how much utility it actually has but brooklyn can wield real cap space at 25 26 so the the reason that you would use ben simmons or really do anything for them in 24 is if you can procure a player who is better than you can get in 25 and who's not going to be available in 25, that could be on the table. You brought up Donovan Mitchell. He is a very possible example of this because if Donovan Mitchell gets traded and gets traded to a team he wants to be on, if we don't get a Kawhi to Toronto situation, odds are he's going to resign there. And so you lose the, as the Nets, that drops the value of your cap space. And so if somebody like that hits the market, if you don't get him, then you're not getting him later on. Yeah, for me, if I moved to Simmons, the headline of the trade would not be that we moved Simmons. It would just be simply as salary ballast where it's a big enough deal that the other team would just be like, all right, this is the matching salary. We'll take him back. He'll expire. Uh, a related question here. What do you think the actual plan is for these cap space hostable teams like the Sixers and Nets? Nobody big really signs any cap space anymore and there aren't big free agents anymore. In Philly's case, not sure who's available in 2025 for the Nets either. For the Nets standpoint, the nature of Ben Simmons, like we talked about, like it doesn't make sense to trade him and get off of him. So you almost just are naturally going to have cap space because he is on your team and is going to expire. The Sixers are somewhat in the same boat, actually, with Tobias Harris and his deal. And you may end up re-signing Tobias Harris. For example, Paul George is still out there potentially. Uh, there's maybe there's been a little bit of like buzz about that uh, from other reporters that that's a possibility. Uh, although, you know, we'll see how this Clippers season ends up. But it's also very valuable to be able to just take a player and not send anything back, right? Like DeJounte Murray is someone who wouldn't be a perfect fit for Philly, but the fact that they could just take him for a luxury tax conscious team does really matter. You can get guys for way less, right? Uh, For example, like how Portland had a trade exception, they're able to just take Jeremy Grant and not have to send back matching salary that was going to be kind of dead for a year that the Pistons didn't want. They were able to get him for a much lower asset price. So it definitely does have value. It does have a lot of use to be flexible. It also just is nice to not have a bunch of salary on your books that you don't necessarily want. And so I I think it, it may end up striking out. That's always been the nature of cap space. 
and particularly for a team like Brooklyn, but they also feel like they have a piece who's not making very much in Mikhail Bridges. So you might as well give yourself the flexibility and see what ends up happening. Another challenge, just briefly to mention, is that a lot of times when we've seen cap space be useful, it is to get multiple players to major markets. So like, for example, even though Paul George was a trade, Kawhi and Paul George, Kawhi was with yeah. cap space. And then the Brooklyn guys, when, you know, Ky- Kyrie and KD, when that happened. And because fewer star level players are hitting unrestricted free agency it's harder for them to team up but brooklyn is a plausible place for that and i mean we don't know who's going to actually make it in 25 whether like brandon ingram and mitchell and tatum and Giannis and all those guys like most of them will not most of them will sign extensions beforehand but some of them might and 25 might be a little bit different because we'll know the new tv deal at that point and so there could be some structures or some some situations where team where players might be more interested in maximize there might be ways to maximize their earnings that aren't extensions like that that's it's a possibility even with the league's new more flexible system um, briefly on this um, question from Colin Brady, is there a more b- boring team than Brooklyn? I will say that other than they've had some weirdly fun crunch times, they aren't exactly the most fun team to watch like game yeah. to the, game. The Bulls are worse, I would say. They, they do play a lot of like crazy games. They but, do. Yeah. But but I, it does annoy me that they seem kind of less than some of their parts. Cam Thomas it has devolved into one of my least favorite watches because he really just can't get by anybody and never passes. And it just when as soon as he gets the ball, you know, it's going to be some contested jumper every time of, you know, Bridges watching him not play defense anymore compared to the way he used to play defense uh, has been frustrating. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, they're. They're down there. I hoped actually that they'd be really interesting. I thought they could be a really good defense and that just uh, has not been the case this year. So yeah, it's been disappointing. Let's close on this one, Danny. Sue Chef asks, what's the best young player you would trade Mikhail Bridges for if you were the Nets? Bridges is one of the best contracts in the league using the normal filters we do. No max, no min, no rookie scale. I... Do you think you I I well OKC's situation is is specifically complicated because they're really good right now but like I don't could you get a Jalen Williams level player for Mikael Bridges? I wouldn't do that if I were the Thunder. I don't think I would either. But and but so I I, I would do that. I would would you do that if you were the Nets? I would do that if I were the Nets. I think I would do that if I were the Nets because Williams could be you know he could be driving their offense and, and having good positional size allows Marks to do a lot of other things from a team building perspective. Would would you trade him for? I'm going to go through some of our top prospects. Would you trade him for Alperin Shangun? Hmm. I don't think I would, especially because they have Claxton. Um, for now, at least it would. Well, I mean, you could just trade Claxton for something else. I, although Claxton is also going to be a free agent and going to become properly paid here momentarily. Right. Yeah. You know, I guess I just I don't know what's going to happen in the summer summer of twenty twenty five. I still think of Mikhail Bridges as your third best player on a good team. I, I don't like he has not continued to develop. He's also like a little bit older than you think. Uh, his defensive decline, I, I think that would come back if you were in a smaller role on a better team, but I'm not sure about that. Like Mikhail Bridges has, as your best player, has not really driven much winning. They're 21 and 31 right now. Uh, and, and I don't think the rest of, I mean, they could use more at point guard, obviously, to play with him, but I, I don't think the rest of what are about, like, what terrible. It, what about Bridges for Paolo? Oh yeah, I would do that. I would do that. So, but, I mean, I, to, to finish my thought, I think 
I would still be like, ultimately he's a complimentary piece. Now, of course, the fact that you can't, you don't have your draft pick makes it a little bit different where they're really going to be more focused on the present and free agency and trying to add players. Like this idea is like, oh, everyone really, really wants to play with Mikhail Bridges. And uh, maybe if he's on Team USA, that'll get, uh, or Team USA again, that'll get even more interesting. But I think I ultimately would be willing to trade him for a much younger guy who I think has all-star potential and just try to go that right. So like Jalen Williams, Paolo Bancaro, would you trade him for Jonathan Kaminga? No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, so like extra stuff would probably have to be thrown in. Maybe like you could, you could construct a trade to me that would get me there. If the Warriors threw in some other stuff, I think let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets. We got, got a great message today from a, a, New listener on the free trial saying, oh, like, this is great. They actually talk about the Hornets. Like, yes, yes, we do. Uh, they are 11 and 41 rousing win last night over the Memphis Grizzlies. Vasilier Misic career highs across the board showing up on the NBA top 10. Multiple awesome no look passes out of the pick and roll. It's all happening. Negative 12.2 net rating is 30th in the NBA. 28th on offense. 30th on defense, they project for 17 and 65, which amazingly, Danny, amazingly would be only the third worst team in the East. Incredible. Uh, and I do want to say, though, just looking, I didn't get a chance to watch all that game last night, but looking at the players who played in that game for Charlotte versus who was now sitting on the bench for them, right? So Grant Williams, Davis Breton, Seth Curry, Vasilya Misic all came off the bench for them. They actually started Trey Mann and then uh, Brandon Miller, Cody Martin, Miles Bridges, Nick Rickards, obviously LaMelo and Mark Williams are still out. But hey, guess what? Leaky Black, JT Thor, Nathan Mensa, Bryce McGowan's, Nick Smith Jr., all DNPs. Like the, these guys that they got who were like not like barely in rotations or like not even in rotations for OKC and Dallas are like, way better than the guys that they were actually playing like they're they charlotte may actually be like pretty watchable the rest of the way and, and it was also their first attitude. it was also their first win by eight points or more all season the stuff was, was tracking they, so now they don't have a double digit win but they do have a nine point win and and yeah that was i was keeping an eye on that game i was at warrior sons which was a fun fun game but we're, we're not we're not doing the west so i'm not going to talk too much about that um but yeah, I, I think that it was good to see the Hornets play better, and and this is a mash unit still, not as extreme for the Grizzlies as it has been before. But yeah, it was it was a more viable Hornets team than we have seen previously, and we got a lot of questions about Brandon Miller, and I think the the most the most compelling one is is kind of the concept from Oren Levy, which is what is Brandon Miller's rosiest ceiling as an on ball guy, and I still think that. The reasonable best case, so I'm not going 100th percentile, I'm going more like 80th percentile, for Brandon Miller is less of a dynamic on-ball guy, that he's he's somebody who has great interplay with that player, but he still, he's, he still has shown some, you know, some interesting ability to create advantages, let's put it that way. I would say more of like what Paul George has been the last couple of years offensively. And that's a good comp. And, and of like course, that, that's someone that he has pointed to as, as a, a comp. You know, I think Miller has more ball handling and natural passing ability than PG did at the same age. And part of that is just the era that he grew up in where everyone handles the ball more. Everyone runs pick and roll more. 
so that that's exciting like his some of the shooting that he's shown off the dribble coming off screens from like way out and he kind of shoots that set shot so he can get his legs underneath them and shoot from from way out now i think he's not quite as good at creating his own mid-ranger but he's getting a little bit better there uh doesn't really have even probably now he doesn't really have the same explosiveness uh, as paul george although if he gets ahead of steam up in space he can go up and dunk on you and but I, I think he has enough off the pick and roll and handling the ball that if he's with his size he doesn't have the highest release but if he's able to shoot the ball off the pick and roll or coming off of screens or coming off of pin downs off the ball or in transition like that is very very valuable and the fact that he's up to now high 30s from three on this pretty difficult shot that like i want to see even more three pointers for him the rest of the way yeah i I think he certainly you know all like lower end all nba uh i i think that is and like i think he could be you know solid defensively but he's not he's not as strong or as athletic as paul george like i I think he's never gonna be your number one defender on the perimeter i want to see how much stronger he can get like if he gets stuck on a four is that like a problem if he's got Aaron Gordon trying to duck in on him. Can he hold up there? Like those are the sort of questions that I'm trying to answer. But to really say that this is like an all NBA caliber guy, but I'm I'm very very excited about what I've seen from him. And you know the the book is not closed on the top of this 2023 draft, but he's looking very solid lately. I'm also intrigued. There were point, points in Miller's film where like if he's not going to be the primary on ball guy for wings, can he be like an opportunistic wing weak side shot blocker, that type of stuff? Can he, can he have some of those reactions that would definitely be compelling as well? And yeah, I, there's a lot to like here. And part of the appeal with Miller going back to when we, when we talked about him a lot going into the draft is that he can fit alongside a lot of other types of good players. And I think that's still really true. And that's why Paul George is such a good comp is that Paul George has played alongside, a lot of really good players in his career and a lot of them have enjoyed you know like kind of playing with him and so if Miller can have that kind of a path then there's a there's a lot that could be good there um briefly from Buzzcat Ball what do you make of Nick Smith Jr. I mean the good thing one of the good things for Nick Smith Jr. he hasn't played a ton with the big squad um overall like five five six hundred minutes so far is that He's taking a lot of threes and, and he's making them now. It's it's a, only about 115 total, but 45 percent on seven per 36. That's I mean, obviously, 45 percent is amazing, but seven per 36 is good. The concern and this ties in. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how bad this stat was that you're about to say is. And this echoes years and years ago with Malik Monk. So you're like, holy shit, like guy shooting seven threes per 36 at 45%. How can he have below average true shooting? Well, he never gets to the line less than one free throw attempt per 36 minutes. And Nick Smith Jr. is shooting 36% on twos. And he takes 8% of his shots at the rim and he's made 39% of his shots at the basket. I mean, that is, that is remarkable. And he's like, he's got good size. I'm... But the size and the shooting is kind of all that we've seen. He hasn't really played much point guard. He's mostly been off the ball when I've seen him, which is noteworthy because they haven't really had decent point guards either. They haven't wanted to put him in that role. Yeah, I haven't seen him do a ton other than just shoot the three ball, which is exciting at, at his size. And he does have some ball handling. And But I, I think... For him to be a guy that I'm interested in, like, so there's size and shooting ability, but not really 
He's going to need to get a lot stronger. Like, can he be a plus defensively? If you're talking about a guy who could be a plus defensively, which again, at 19, he's got okay says, like, I'm not throwing that away. You know, this is, we've seen a lot of guys get better defensively later in in their careers. Like, the fact that he's not any good now, it's not a surprise in his age 19 season. But yeah, I think he's got to get better uh, on defense because I don't think he's dynamic enough athletically to really be a huge on-ball threat getting to the basket i think you see his rebounding is awful like you just you don't see the athletic markers that make you think that there's like a future starter here necessarily are we ready emotionally to move on to the bulls chicago yeah i'm I'm very ready i I mean i i basically stopped being a bulls fan in in 2015 i'm I have very much made, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I wish they would just change up so they would be more watchable, but I'm also certainly made my beast with uh, what this organization is. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Bulls are 25 and 28 on the year, 4 and 5 since the last 1560. That includes a overtime loss to the Magic on Saturday. Um, negative 1.9 net rating is 22nd in the NBA, 21st in offense, 16th in defense, and they're projected to make the play in. 36 and 46, 10 games under is the 10 seed in the East right now. And there, there are a couple of questions in the same vein, but the one I want to answer is from three level score, what's going on in Chicago. And it is one of the clearest examples of ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the NBA, because if Reinsdorf wanted to have the best possible team at an indeterminate point in the future, he would stop chasing the 10 seed and they would be able to move especially it was egregious with the bulls because they could have traded so many of their players for value it is not the circumstance of like many teams in the past where it's like oh you have to tear it down but you're also not getting anything in the chair down like they could have gotten assets for DeRozan, they could have gotten assets for crusoe and levine and vooch more complicated there were other points in time where they could have gotten assets for levine but the there are so many ways that competing for a low-end outcome s- sabotages your team's upside in the short term and the long term. I thought it was remarkable that uh, Arturis Karnaschivas, uh, in his comments after the deadline, said that he actually has the green light from ownership to rebuild, but that it's his decision to not rebuild. Now, do I necessarily believe that? I, you know, we, we'll see. I, I mean, I think there's... A lot of we've talked about this before with the tax where, yeah, there's the green light to go in the tax in theory, but it's kind of like speech in communist China, right? It's like you're you're not explicitly told what you can't do, but there's a chilling effect from these revealed preferences that 
kind of just shunt you in the direction of what you want to do because you're afraid of the consequences, even though you haven't explicitly been told that you can't rebuild, that you can't go into the tax. I mean, clearly, Arturus was brought in to and to not rebuild. Uh, so I and uh, Johnny Pilot says over under 4.5 years, Bulls fans will have to endure this wretched uh, AK regime. That's a good. You want to do a Watfo on that? So are we saying 4.5 more years or 4.5 years? <laughs> no, four and a half more years. Is that too far out for you? I mean, I, I would go with a low number. That's. So you think that you think it's a pretty decent chance that that uh, Arturis will not be their lead basketball executive within. But so we'll say by <laughs> trade trade deadline in 20, well, no, so if, it, if it's 4.5 more years, so then it would be. Yeah, I guess they usually get start... fired in the off season, although that's dumb. Like, guys, like GM firing season should be like December. December or April. Well, like okay. April. Yeah, I guess, I guess it it happens more often in April, I guess. But um, so let's say so four years from now is 28. So then it would be basically like, is he still is he still the general manager at the start of the regular well, season and, and, in 28, 29? Yeah, well, and uh, now that that's too far. Let's do the trade deadline of 2028. That's I think that's uh, okay. that's that's reasonable because that's that's more like now it's like I would say that's basically like more than four years once he makes it past the trade deadline of 2028. If you just think about the rhythms of the league, if Mark Eversley has been promoted, is that <laughs> well, no, that, it's, it's oh, so the way I'm phrasing it is that Arturis is still the lead decision maker for the Bulls. At the uh, 2028, yeah. but trade. but if it's Mark Eversley, then it's all like that. It can't also be Mark Eversley, I think, because this is he's talking about the AK regime. So this is hilarious that we're going to have this one out there. I'm going to say so. So yeah, if Mark Eversley is the lead basketball executive, that counts as as him still being there. That's still yeah. the same regime. I'm going to go see because it seems like what's going to happen. Like they're going to rebuild regardless. They just like they're basically going to be where the Hornets were, right? Where like they're going to just suck and like get high draft picks and rebuild. And like that will almost maybe get them more time. So it's like the process of even and then that rebuild would have to be like obviously failing. I think I'm going to say I think there is a 45 percent chance that they is still the same regime. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go 25. And if it were any other team with these overall factors, I would be at like five percent. But uh. yeah, and uh, Acme broke my Bulls. Why do I even bother as a Bulls fan? Are they officially the Midwest Wizards? Is there any chance they reconsider strategy in the offseason at the inevitable play-in loss? Yes, there is because Demar Derozan might just leave. And what are they gonna do then? I mean, I guess then they try to just get Zach Levine back to be they the, build the they build guy. around the core four of Vucevic Caruso Levine and Lonzo Ball or Pat Williams yeah that would be an interesting maybe we should do it we could do another one on like what are the odds that Caruso is traded before the end of his deal but that's probably enough on the Bulls yeah the Cleveland Cavaliers 35 and 16 a robust 10 and 1 since the last 15 60 they, they are just fucking teams up right now just destroy i mean they, they were up 25 on the raptors like i think it was inside yeah. the second quarter in in toronto yes 
Um, plus 5.9 net rating is fifth in the league, 16th in offense, and second in defense behind only the Minnesota Timberwolves and the BPI projections, which have been high on the Cavs before, or even higher now. 58 wins, which would be second in the 58 East. 58 wins! That's only four shy of the Celtics, which is pretty incredible. And that ties in with the question from uh, Jeremiah Car- Cars. Um, what are the odds that the Cavs finish as the two seed would get? Would that give them a chance of coming out of the East? And I think the chances of the Cavs finishing as the two seed, as as well as the Knicks have been playing, because of course they've been they've been crushing teams too. But now OG's dealing with this elbow injury and a few other things. Um, I think it's actually. It's pretty high in the sense of like they're the to me, they're the most likely single team, but there are other contenders. And so I don't think it's like over 50 percent, but that they they finish with the two seed. Yeah, Uh, I think it is. I think it is because the Knicks are just kind of struggling a little bit like OG has has proved that he's like really, really important to them. Randall is out too. like the the Knicks kind of. They won maybe like three or four games after these guys went out, and there's sort of this feeling like, oh, the Knicks are still really hot, which they were technically. But I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with some of these injuries. Uh, I think their defense is just not going to be nearly as good. I mean, they've got Hartenstein out now with the Achilles, so I, I think the Knicks are going to struggle for the, these next couple of games. And you know, no Randall and OG. I mean, they're missing their starting three and their starting four. They did bring in some depth, but I, I think. You know, the Knicks are kind of like a 45-ish win team as currently constituted without Randall and without OG. And the Cavs, I think they've shown pretty well that they could withstand injuries to basically anyone except for Donovan Mitchell. And well, and, and the other thing that we know at this point is that really the teams that are competing with them, the Sixers, I think, are out of the two game. Like they're just they're just too far. They're too far gone already. And we know Joel is not coming back soon. And then so it's really it's it's the Knicks who are injured and the Bucks. The Cavs are already three losses ahead of the Bucks. Um, they're sixteen versus nineteen as we're recording. Yeah, and, and the Bucks have their own injury issues. Like Chris Middleton is going to miss. It seems like a fair amount of time. Like I don't expect to see him before the the end of the All Star break. Yeah, so maybe and maybe Dame, it is Dame over is kind of Dame is kind of broke down. And, and so th- this ties in with. This question from Mark Tremaine and the main reason for the, he asked what the main reasons for the Cav improvement, young players improving their lives with more shooting. I would say number one, it's just that their defense is amazing. Like JB Bickerstaff is a really good defensive coach, particularly in the regular season. And the fact that they, even without Evan Mobley, were able to play as one of the number one defenses, even with this shooting proof, like, uh, that they've had. Then you can throw in their depth as well. Obviously, that was on display without Mobley and Garland, but they just put out very solid lineups for all 48 minutes right now. Donovan Mitchell is playing a lot better than he was playing. I think his there's been a lot of focus on what's changed in Cleveland, but him just being better has been part of it as well. Uh, Jared Allen playing better. I think the the way that they've run stuff through Jared Allen, obviously a big reason too is that some guys like Niang were just not shooting it that well early at their normal levels. Getting Sam Merrill in has been interesting as another bomber. So it's a multitude of factors. And that's maybe part of why I'm still a bit lower on Cleveland as a playoff team, because they do like they've put some lineups together, but they do have kind of some individual pieces that are flawed. Um but I, I think the, all of those things are why they've been so much better uh, than before. 
Question from Truel Sanderson. Can Sam Merrill be good enough on D to become a starter on the Cavs? I don't think I, I think he's too limited kind of well, well no because he's a shooting guard like and and Max Struess is like kind of powerful and he can play the three but you can't play Merrill even even with Mobley and Allen there you can't play Merrill Garland, Mitchell and, Garland. and Mitchell together I agree I mean maybe there it might have made some sense if you if Garland weren't healthy I mean because he has been a really good shooter but he still doesn't do much else he's still small he still gets attacked I, I think he's a guy who maybe could start on another team but they just have so much depth like he's even like not in the rotation some of these nights now which maybe he should be but uh, I, I think they they're getting enough shooting for some of these other positions and those guys have a little bit more strength like max Struess's ability to like bang switch onto fours take some charges just generally be more rugged uh, i think that's why he's always going to start over sam merrill there is a conception of the post if there is a post Mitchell Cabs where they're like you could have more of an opening, but I agree with you as the team is currently constructed. I think we're we're on the same boat. JB Bickerstaff had some interesting quotes yesterday in on this topic that Jeremiah brought up, which is the Cavs seem to have solved their shooting issues while maintaining their defense, but are Mobley's recent flashes real and in his third game back, he was three of three from downtown. He was one of four in this last game against uh, Toronto. And he, he's had some big games. He had 28 in that game when he was three of three from downtown. That was at San Antonio. I mean, the, their recent schedule has been very light uh, since Mobley returned. The first of those was against the Clippers, but then the best team they've beaten since then. Their best win since then is either at home against Sacramento or on the road against Toronto. Now, they've killed basically everyone that they've played in that period, right? They've won now nine straight again, uh, and Mobley has played in seven of those, and their smallest win is plus seven in that time. Uh, but Mobley, I'm not going to say that, like, he's taking more, which is good, right? Like, the, I think he, when he was out, he probably just focused on that. He saw the way they're playing. J.B. Bickerstaff, though, he said, hey, if they're going to leave him open, like he's going to shoot it and he's going to make it. He loves basketball. He works really hard. He's not one of these guys who just plays basketball because he was a seven footer who's told to play basketball. Like They are just so high on his work ethic. And I do think that there has been a mentality change for him that he knows he has to take these now. And that also, quite frankly, not guarding him is one of the few ways to stop this Cavs team lately. So I don't know what to make of his shooting improvement. Uh, you know, he's never been a great free throw shooter either. I, I'm, this is still his third year. Guys do make big improvements. Uh, although a recent South article kind of showed like year three to year four is kind of when you start to get it. For a lot of guys, you start to get an understanding of like, okay, is he making progress as a shooter or is he not going to? I can't go. Like the fact that he's taking a few more, but he still is only, you know, the max he's taken is four in this period since he came back. So I, I can't draw much more of the sample from there. But the fact it's it's mildly encouraging. Let's move on here to the Pistons. Detroit eight and forty-four, but, but four and six since the last fifteen sixty. They have doubled their win total in the last ten games. I believe it's even. I think it's like the last nine or something like that. Um, negative ten net rating is twenty eighth, third to last at negative ten. We have, of course, have a watch about that. Twenty um, sixth in offense, twenty eighth in defense, and uh, BPI projects them to win seventeen games, which would be thirteenth in the East. 
Question from Glenn J. Stroop. Can Quentin Grimes, Kate Cunningham, and Jade Ivey all play together? Is that not enough shooting defense needing the ball? And I, you would need a lot of improvement from those three gentlemen to, if your goal is to be the three, like the starting one, two, and three on a team with real aspirations. Now, can you do it on a team like the Pistons that are less competitive right now? Of course. But you Glenn brought up like the not enough shooting defense need the ball. And I you think about like how would you defend that group and how would they defend others? Like Quentin Grimes, I think, is a capable on ball defender. And like Kate Cunningham, he hasn't been quite what I wanted defensively overall in his career, but he definitely has the physical tools to do it. And so if Cunningham becomes a more consistent on ball and off ball shooter, Ivy's Ivy's had this interesting stretch where he's been shooting the ball really well, but hasn't been doing as much. We got a question on this too from uh, which we may hit we may not um recently so like if his shot ends up being more real and then Quentin Grimes like I think of him as a low usage guy and and if you're playing him next to Ivy and Cunningham so on a team like this yes absolutely on a team that's making the second round in three years or so we would need to see some real growth from them. I think that growth is plausible. The other thing that you're really going to need, if that's your your one, your two, your three, is you're going to need a fourth player who can defend big wings, and you're going to need a rim protector who helps provide your defensive identity, both of which are, are possible, both of which are available, but they would need to either Jalen Dern becomes that guy or you find somebody else, and then you find that other like wing defender. And maybe that's a SAR, but then the shooting and everything else comes into play. Your analysis of Jaden Ivey's recent success, hot three-point shooting has offset some uncharacteristically poor finishing. What to make of it? What does he need to work on? And I think there's, the three-point shooting is encouraging. Like that is something that can really open up his drive game if you actually have to go over a screen on him. I thought maybe he was actually a little bit up over his head in terms of uh, the stats uh, on his finishing. But like he, he's that's one of the biggest places that guys, young guards, take steps forward. So it's not surprising that he's gotten better there. And then in terms of what he needs to work on, I think it's continuing to just be better defensively. Uh, that last question that you had, Danny, it would be lovely if Jaden Ivey, with his physical tools, could be a guy that you just put on the opposing one and have him get over a screen. Or if maybe he gets strong enough that he can do some switching because they have Dern at the five. It seems like they still kind of want to go that route. A little bit too. I think Duran is better as a switch guy, at least at this point in his career, than as a, a more traditional drop back rim protector. But I think just being a maybe he's not the number one guy, but someone who can be an irritant defensively really helps their defense. If you could have him guarding the one and Grimes guarding the two and Cade guarding the three, that makes it a lot easier than if you have to cross match there. Sure. Put Grimes on the one. Now Ivy's kind of hiding out on the two. To be able to have the options to put those guys on different players or just to have them guard their position would be a lot better, I think. You know, or you're you don't want to be in a situation where like, all right, they have a good one and a two. Cade is is does too much on the ball, so he's not gonna be like chasing a guy around screens. So to not have Ivy be a liability, that I think is one of the biggest things. Um should we do this one from Carlos? I think this is a good uh, or maybe should we save that for the Wiz? How many questions do we have on the Wiz? Uh, Not many. Yeah, okay. Let's save this one for the Wiz then. This one. Uh, and that might be tomorrow, but we will get to that one eventually. 
we could we could start go to the Pacers. Um, they're thirty and twenty four on the year, and even six and six since the last fifteen sixty. They are fifteenth in the NBA in net rating, but positive one point three just with how the wins and how the positive because there are some real bad teams this year. First in offense, twenty sixth in defense, and BPI has them as the sixth seed in the East with forty five wins. Um, from Danny Mack, um, was so the, on the day he asked the question, the the starting lineup of the big threes, meaning Halliburton, Turner, and Pascal Siakam, along with Nemhard and Nismith, is that their best starting closing lineup overall? And it's definitely an intriguing lineup defensively because Nemhard has the ability to defend on ball, and Hall, Halliburton, not only Halliburton being the worst defender in your group, but having four capable, if not at times, high-level defenders in, in, in a lineup makes that a lot more viable. What I'm going to be really interested in, because I think we're going to see a lot of that, especially with the heel trade over the course of this year, is the quality of shots that they're generating and whether they can hit those shots. Because what they're trying to do, and we've seen teams attempt this a lot over the years, of a dominant offensive team but a limited defensive team is, can you make the personnel more defensive and stay good offensively? At times that's worked in Dallas. At times it has not worked in Dallas. Various different iterations over the years with the Hawks and all that. So it's a lot to ask. I think Halliburton might be good enough to do it. Yeah, and, and having Miles Turner also helps you have less shooting up and down the lineup. And since they've gotten Siakam, they're 116.9 defensive rating. Like that's kind of good enough, at least for their short term aspirations. Now, worth noting that Halliburton hasn't played a fair amount of that time. By the way, it's pretty remarkable considering how little Halliburton has played with Siakam that. He has a 7.2 on court net rating. They're negative 13 when Siakam is off the floor in since he was acquired. He's played 428 minutes with them. So I, I think I'm not willing to say that they this defense isn't good enough uh, at this point in time. Uh, I want to see what it looks like. If they're going to play Nembhard at the two, I mean, Halliburton would have to just be awful or maybe Miles Turner is just nowhere near as good as we thought he was to for them to be like a bad defense with Nembhard starting at the two. Now you throw in Mather in there. Maybe it's a little bit different. Ultimately, I I do wonder about whether they're good enough offensively. Like, are you hurting your offense more than you're helping your defense by starting them hard at the two? They moved on from Heald. Seemed like they just didn't believe they would be able to re-sign him. So ultimately, one of these guys is just going to need to become a better spot-up shooter. Like ben Matherin has the ability to do that, but that's just like kind of seems like it's not how he's wired right now. Or maybe Ben Matherin is someone that they could trade at. Let me ask you this, Danny, of like not like star twos, who would you want to bring in like who is you just view as the ideal archetype for this team? I do and I, I think the Anthony Melton would be interesting. He's yeah, done some, that would be interesting. Because to me, you're, the primary attribute that you're looking for is defense, but it needs to be somebody who's capable enough that in a, in a smaller role, they're not... Um, yeah. Well, you know who it would be? It'd be like KCP. Or Caruso. Yeah, Caruso. Well, Caruso doesn't shoot enough to me. I, I think that, you need to be... You want higher volume. I mean, actually, Quentin Grimes would have been a very interesting guy for this team, mm. I would say. Um, yeah, as, as a starter... I'm not, yeah, I mean, most the most shooting guards are bad defenders. DiVincenzo would have been a really good guy for this team with the way he's getting up threes these days. Um, 
let's let's hit a few of these otherwise uh um so from sdm what else do the pacers need to contend is it available from within contention i think is a lot to ask for this group in terms of like credibly making an nba finals if that's how we're defining it because i think they're going to need miles turner to be the second best player on a really good team and so that means defensive anchor for sure but also capable offensive player well, and, well what about siakam well, but you need Turner to be that defensive player. Like that's, okay. I think that's that's essential for me because I mean they're always really good teams in the league, and the I think that the making sure that they're one, their two, and their three best players are actually a first, second, and third best player. The other thing we're going to need is you, you've brought this up a lot over the years, and it's completely fair. It is rare for a team with a small guard and Halliburton's taller than small guards, but he's thin to be the best player on a true championship contender. And Halliburton hasn't had that playoff experience yet. He absolutely could be that guy. I think that Halliburton has the tools in his toolbox to do it, but we haven't seen it yet. I wanted to react to this from, from Danny Mack. Uh, he's saying really enjoying the free trial of dunked on. We'll definitely subscribe if budget allows for those of you who are new subscribers, but are in a different financial situation we do offer an option for that we don't want to lose anyone overpriced so there are instructions on that in my pinned tweet at nate duncan mba of how to get that pricing basically just send us an email and you know a couple sentences we'll we'll take your word for it that you know you're a student or uh you're going through some financial struggles and we'll, we'll hook you up with that very reduced pricing because that's that's one thing i resolved when we started this that i mean we want people to pay at least like a little money but we're not gonna like lose anybody overpriced and of course it's important to us that if you can afford it you pay the full price but i, I think it's and hopefully those of you who do pay full price are okay with the fact that some people pay a little bit less who you know can't afford it so i uh i encourage you all to check that out if you really feel like hey this legitimately doesn't fit in my budget now if you're like hey wait i just don't think this product is worth it uh then all right i understand it's probably <laughs> probably rather you unsubscribe in that case like that's okay but uh if it really is like yeah i really want this product it's great i just literally cannot afford it right now uh you know we'll take care of you on that um which young core would you rather has pacers or magic easily pacers tyrese halliburton is a top 10 player in the nba when he's healthy i would say certainly a top 10 regular season player Magic just don't have anyone like that. They don't have anyone who I think will be that. And I, I wouldn't, I yeah. wouldn't say it's an easy call because the volume with having both Paolo and Bank, Paolo and Franz Wagner is I intriguing. Think I think it's an easy call personally. I would still pick the Pacers, but it's I, less easy. I would rather have Tyrese Halliburton than both Paolo and Franz. Okay. You think that's insane? No, I don't think it's insane. It's just, uh, I mean, it's just wrong. It's, especially, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't even know that it's wrong. I, I said I would pick the pace, but the you, you get the option. And, and Paolo is so physically talented, and like early in his career, that like he could end up being a very notable type of player. And then Wagner, I've been surprised at the interplay between the the other thing that the Magic have because if we're thinking about young cords, depending on how we're defining young, is they have a lot of like other bites of the apple. You know, like you would include Jalen Suggs and presumably Wendell Carter still counts and all that whereas the pacers they don't the other the non-halliburtons provide a lot less than the non-palo frances for me with the magic yeah i suppose that's true there's no one i guess neesmith is still part of it yeah i guess there's there's I mean, no is one it, else isn't neesmith like 26 
No, I don't think so. I think he was like 20 when he was drafted. Here, I, I, let's answer. He's 24. This. You're right. Yeah. He, he would count. I think because for young cores, we usually do 25 and under, right? Right, right. It, guys where it's like, hey, this is our our core for the next five years. That's why we do 25 versus young pros- or, or top prospects, which is 23. Uh, Asher, can you discuss player Pacers player development options? This is ties in with what we were just talking about. Uh, rank these guys on the likelihood of being a good rotation caliber player two to three years from now. So our options here are Matherin, Shep, uh, Isaiah Jackson, Nemhart, Jarris Walker, Ben Shepard, Jalen Smith. Probably going to start with Matherin in there, wouldn't you say? If it's rotation level of player, then I would actually start with Nemhart because I think he could be that. Like he, that, I don't think he's going to be a starter, but I do think he'll be. Yeah. A rotation. Well, yeah, I guess good rotation caliber player. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe I'll just go with just ranking them as like who who I would want to have. Sure. Going forward, so. It might actually still be Jairus Walker just because of the type of player that he could be is just could be really valuable. I It is a red flag to me that he just hasn't figured at all this year. Now they have guys in front of him. I get it. But before they didn't have Pascal Siakam. And I guess Matherin has to be number two. Nemhart three. Jalen Smith four. I think Jalen Smith already is a, a solid rotation player. Not really a believer in Shepard. I think he's just too thin and I, he hasn't shown just like, you know, like uh, amazing shooting ability that I think is going to make up for that to make him more than kind of a bench two guard at the most. So he's been playing a little bit. And then Jackson just hasn't, he's got great rim protecting talent and athleticism, but he just hasn't been able to figure it out from an execution standpoint defensively. So any quibbles with that or should we move on? Not, not particularly. I think we can, we can move on. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag and Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The Miami Heat? Well, no, let, let's do one more. Okay. we got a, a bunch of sure. these. We, we went short on the Pistons, so let's let's react to this. Um, uh, from we could do this we could do this one for Paul. What's a yeah. wild card for for Indiana elevating to a top four caliber East East team? First of all, like they might not be that far from that in the first place. But for me, it's them being able to play better defenders and still be a capable offensive team. I think if they could do that, like they could get to you know like be, still be still be one of the best offenses in the league. And even if they're like twelfth to fifteenth, maybe even like eighteenth in defense, like I think then you can be one of the better teams. In, in, a, in a conference yeah i mean it's really matherin to me if matherin can become a guy who really gets up you know eight three-pointers per 36 and makes in the high 30s and then also defends at the level that his physical tools would indicate i think you're right there and mm-hmm. and also now the timeline ha- matters as well right like are you does this happen before siakam declines before maybe miles turner declines 
All right, yeah, let's get to Miami now. 28 and 24, four and six since we last checked in on them. Negative 1.1 net rating is 20th. And they are 23rd on offense, 11th on defense. They project for a 40 and 42, or sorry, 42 and 40 record, eighth seed, 80% chance of the playoffs per BPI. We only, we got a couple of questions here. Maybe we could also talk a little bit about what we saw from them in that game we did against the Spurs on Wednesday. But let's hit these questions first. From Finn, is Miami out of the Eastern Conference Finals contention even when considering their last couple of postseasons? They are still in Eastern Conference Finals contention yeah. for me. Especially because there's no number two team that I, I'm like going to give them no chance against in a playoff series right now. And Jimmy Butler could still turn it on. He could be the best player in a playoff series against basically anyone. They have beaten strong teams before. They have the best coach in the Eastern Conference. So they they had they will have that benefit all the time. And there is still a reasonable belief for me that like when Miami plays their best basketball, that they can can be there with almost anybody. And so I they haven't done it consistently enough. There are many reasons to be frustrated. And maybe Miami is one of those teams, at least for the time being. And you could see this with like we saw Jimmy Butler in the game that we did ramp it up. Um, at different points in the game, but they're like, I, I use this phrasing sometimes their fastball is arguably better than everyone else's, but Boston these. I am trying to think of it right now. Healthy Miami team, Jimmy Butler playing well towards the end of the season. I mean, I don't, I think I would, if I'm like, just pick the, them going up against anybody right now, except for Boston, I'm probably picking that it's a seven game series. I'm not sure I would pick Miami to win it. They obviously aren't going to have home court, but I don't think that like any of these teams are going to just kill them. Like they're just there. Like, like if, if we get a Cavs heat two seven, I'm not sure I'm picking the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there, there's much to be written still about that uh, from all these teams, but. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Corpse in orbit. Do you believe in off-ball Tyler Hero, or would he still be better off the bench? I think he would be better off the bench. I think that just getting more bulletproof defensively in the starting lineup is something that I would appreciate. Now, who would replace him? Hakez? Would that be it? They would go Martin at the two and Hakez at the three? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I, I'm not sure that, like, Hakez is not a great isolation defender. He is rugged, though. He, he can switch some maybe against bigger players. He's just, he's a little slow defensively. Hawkins is a compelling secondary creator with some of those groups, too. Like, you know, you, you have yeah. him, I guess. In some he ways plays very good. similarly to Jimmy, though. Like, yeah, like he kind of likes, I mean, like Hawkins is a better spot up shooter than Jimmy, but he's not taking that many. You're not really running plays for him off, off the ball to shoot a three. You know, he's trying to cut. He's trying to get some offensive rebounds. He's trying to post up against mismatch. Like he's kind of taking up the same space on the floor as Jimmy. Uh, by the way, also, I think Hawkins, uh, I'm saying this right now. He may be the worst dunk contest participant. Like coming in as like the I would consider him like the least accomplished like I mean, he's just I, like not I athletic enough. How's he gonna? Uh, I watched a I watched a, a fair amount, even though these weren't my most active UCLA watching years. 
I was stunned that he was in the dunk contest. Yeah, like he's aggressive and like he'll try to dunk on people. But, like I don't, he's not like getting enough air to like do like cool shit in the air. Like that's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm. <laughs> what? Let me look up what his did he do the combine this year? He probably did, huh? Let me look up his what his vertical was. I don't, I don't recall it being particularly impressive. Um, but yeah, going back to Hero, maybe you can re- give your reaction there while I, while I look up this critical information on on Hakas. Uh, his standing vertical. Um, so standing vertical. The, the, <laughs> you beat me to it. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. I, the the NBA's Arthro whatever it is thing. Um, so Hawkes had the third highest standing vertical leap at the combine, thirty four point five, and he had the third highest. Oh, sorry, he had, he, had, he had the like fourth or fifth highest max vertical leap. But really, so yeah, wow. So, Whit, so Whitmore, Whitmore, and Omax had forty point five. Mojave King and Julian Phillips haven't really figured too much for the NBA. Phillips is on a two way with the Bulls of memory serves and then on so so the whitmore i, I don't, I don't think he's 40. on a let me see but yeah go, go ahead oh Sorry. no he's on a full contract he's yeah. the second yeah. round he was like a 36 pick he's usually yeah. not coming out of two and then andre jackson at 39 five and then at 39 you had anthony black hawkes and pajemski who i also don't think of as a particularly vertical athlete but if we're comparing 39 so that's about what Jalen Williams, J Dub did. That's what Ochai Abaji did. But then, and but that's like lower than Scotty Barnes. It's way lower than like a Keon Johnson type guy. So, so it was good for last year's class. It just it also doesn't seem like last year's class had many vertical guys. But like I don't see that when he plays that often. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he's, he can do a bunch of shit that I uh, I haven't seen. That'll be, I mean, because I've noted before that just those stats like, could be very misleading in terms of what a guy actually does athletically. Sure. But I, in, in games, but I think it does matter more for like dunk contest type of stuff. Uh, we still didn't answer the question about Tyler here. Yes, I do think you'd be better off the bench ultimately. I just like generally the Heat have been better when he comes off the bench. Like he's got this stature. He wants to start. He gets paid like a starter, but with, they've been. And the proof is in the pudding. Like they've been better when he's either come off the bench or when he has been injured. Milwaukee Bucks, Danny, their stats. The Bucks are 34 and 19, 5 and 6 since the last 15 and 60. They're sixth in net rating, seventh on offense, eighth on defense. They, of course, have made a, a jump on defense since the beginning of the year when they were putrid. BPI projection to finish with 51 wins, which would be the third best record in the Eastern Conference. They are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, there's been a lot of hand-wringing just in general about how they've looked. The offense has actually been terrible. Oh, apologies. I was reading the Knicks line for net rating, 11th in net rating, 5th in offense, 19th in defense. Apologies. I was reading the wrong line. Okay. Uh, well, you, if you looked at the Bucks stats recently since they got Doc Rivers in, you might think you're reading the, long, <laughs> the wrong line on their offense because I think they, since Rivers came in, they're like 27th on offense. Now, a big part of that's been Middleton's been out a lot. Dame has been out or limited a lot of that time as well. So I, I'm not going to say, oh, Doc Rivers like fucking up their – like there's been a lot of hand-wringing that I think they're one in five since they brought him in. But I wouldn't necessarily – expect them to win very many games when damian lillard is not available or, or he's limited like that's just not going to happen and same thing with uh with chris middleton um and and detroit style pizza sam says what positive scheme changes have you seen from dockers they also by the way have been without brooke lopez for a couple of games and so I, I think they've just 
Doc has been doing more double teaming, but not necessarily kind of rote double teaming the way that Adrian Griffin was. It's more switch. And then if we get in a matchup we don't like, then we'll double when the guy starts to make his move. Whereas Griffin was really more getting Brooke Lopez out on the floor, at least initially. Obviously, they went back to him being in drop coverage. But I think Doc is like, teams are too comfortable against us. And so we have a veteran group. We should be able to change up our coverages. We should be able to throw random double teams around. We should be able to rotate out of that. And oh, by the way, those rotations will also force us to play with a higher effort level. Because if we're relying on Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley to get over screens at the point of attack, we're just like teams are going to just pick us apart. They're going to find it too easy. Uh, They are also very fastidiously getting back on defense in the way that I kind of predicted that they would. When they hired Doc, uh, and I, I think their defense has looked competent. Like in the games that I've watched, yes, they are one in five, but it we haven't seen these just more than maybe like one or two of these like total clown show moments defensively that we were seeing under Griffin with regularity. Zach Vincent asks, um, do you think Damian Lillard is at an age where he can no longer bring it every night? Seems like he's going four out of 17 every third or fourth game. His two point success has been concerning at times, but Lillard and yes, I mean, LeBron has been an example of this. Like you could bring up that older players have nagging injuries more often, but like right now it seems like Lillard has been like pretty, pretty clearly limited at times. So I, I mean, you I can go back to that game that we did on the strategy stream against the Kings where he was it was definitely he is laboring. I mean, just the last few times I've seen him, he's been laboring. So I think he's just dealing with stuff rather than necessarily that it's age. And yeah, at his age, it would be lovely to be able to pay him 32 minutes a game. They haven't had that luxury. I don't know if they're going to have that luxury, but I think I don't know that it's like can't bring it every night that it's just like an overall fatigue thing or whether it's just like an actual more acute injury that he's dealing with um so i i, I oh. don't and obviously he's been dealing with the ankle issue but I, I it's hard for me to know which of those is the case right now i want to i want to throw out one stat um for another question we got asked we got asked different questions by zach and by brandon uh Lowersdorf about aj green and one of them um brandon's was about aj green's defense i I just you know he hasn't played a ton with the big squad but i just thought this was kind of amazing so i'm like oh i wonder how his steal and block rates are so green's only played 290 minutes so far for the bucks this year he has one credited steal and one credited block in those 291 minutes so those are not great steal and block he is like hard-nosed to some extent like he will i think on, on a switch he'll try to toughen up he'll try to like get physical and get over a screen but i also think he just doesn't have the athleticism to really matter very much defensively like he's kind of better than his reputation and he does make shots with that kind of funky release like he's starting to do more on the move like it is interesting so yeah low end rotation player in the regular season could he be a grayson allen light like grayson allen has more ball skills attacking the basket but I'm I, like, yeah, I do think he's he's taking a step forward again. We're talking about very few minutes last year, very few minutes this year. But you do you see that he is a high effort defensive player. That's probably the most that I. But is he going to be a guy that like you trust to hold up on a switch in the playoffs? Uh, no, no, I, I wouldn't say so. But it's it's been better. Let's move on to the aforementioned Knickerbockers at thirty three and twenty. 
Seven and three since we last checked. Have they lost three straight? Well, they lost two in a row at least. No, it's two straight. They've lost three of four. They beat Memphis in between. Ah, yes, that's right. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Seth puts together these. Uh, again, these are in your daily emails. This is as of Friday. The Knicks are 17-0 and against teams on pace for 35 or fewer wins. And they are 5-10 and against teams on pace for 50 or more wins. Now, that's not uncommon to be below 500 against such teams. Miami, who we just talked about, is 1-12 and against teams on pace for 50 or more wins. And the best record in the league against teams on pace for 50 or more wins actually belongs to the OKC Thunder at 10-4. and Again, there can be many sample size issues there. You can just catch these good teams on a night when guys are out or whatever. So I, I don't put a ton into the idea of them. I mean, that is the worst record other than Miami among teams slated to make the playoffs in the East. Uh, Celtics are eight and five. That's basically, that's like the second best record. Or I'm sorry, say, uh, Minnesota is the second best record and Minnesota is third best. Uh, sorry, Boston is third best in the league at eight and five. So there are not a lot of teams that are just like killing teams that are projected to win 50 plus. Let's, uh, the Knicks are projected for 51 wins, third in the East, seventh on offense right now, eighth on defense. What do we got here? Questions was from Brandon Pulavi, uh, why isn't the Knicks ceiling a title? And I'm interested in what the kind of the full strength version of it is over an extended sample. But my general threshold is elite on one end, very good on the other. And I'm I'm not all the way there that the Knicks check both of those boxes. Like, I don't know that they have a very good offense when we're narrowing the field to just the 10 best defenses because teams with shitty defenses don't survive. Like, a championship, I could see them making an Eastern Conference Finals. I could even see them winning an Eastern Conference Finals. But, I, I mean, there are always such good teams in the league. So, possible? Absolutely. Like, probable? Would I expect it? I mean, especially because they don't have a lot of young players who are really, really improving at this point. The, so you're saying the way this is that, over time, or you're saying just, I think he's talking about just this year, right? I don't think they're winning a title this year. Then if that's, if, if we're only counting this year, then they're not going to. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I would say even this team, it's, you know, maybe the way it would have to happen is that Brunson just continues to go crazy. Now, I, I just don't think that he overall affects the offense enough as a passer. His ability to get shots off in the mid-range and the way he's added the three-pointer this year is remarkable, and he will beat up worse defenders as well. But I ultimately wonder about their defensive versatility. Uh, it's not as important maybe as it used to be with the since you're not going up against the 2017 Warriors anymore or uh, the Harden Rockets or the LeBron Cavs to where you can play more big men in more traditional styles, I think, now than you used to be able to. But it's tough to do a little bit against Boston with their spacing. So that's an issue. But also, yeah, they're just their best player is not at the same level. Now, if you want to talk about them making a trade and getting into that, absolutely getting a guy who's better than Brunson. Uh, but maybe we'll just we'll continue to have underrated Brunson and he just takes even more of a leap in this year's playoffs uh, or, but I, I think you also run into the issue of just like another team getting injured or something like they have a lot of depth, the Knicks do. So yeah, they could get to, I think they could maybe make the finals with this year's East if something happens to Boston, like they would have a puncher's chance against you know, basically anybody else I would say, but I don't see them beating whoever comes out like the Clippers 
the Nuggets, like I, I don't think they have enough talent to beat whoever makes it out of that West. Because, because you know whoever makes it out of the West is going to be at least reasonably healthy. It's not yeah. you, you, you can't survive without that. Yeah, although we thought that you would have thought that about Miami last year, but like they were just completely exhausted and just played like shit against the, the Nuggets. Uh, so that that isn't always true. But um, here, let's let's we got a bunch of Knicks scores, so let's run through these rapid fire. Traditionalist NBA media loves the Knicks. How many things do I have to break just right for them to make the finals? I guess we kind of talked about that already, that, that question from Jared. Uh, but it really, Brunson would have to go wild. Randall obviously has always sucked in the playoffs. Like he would have to get back and play really well and not just torpedo their team by shooting three of 15 four times in a series. And, you know, that that I'm pretty skeptical of. And of like their defense would have to be the best defense in the Eastern Conference, which eh, you know, maybe it could be. But I, I still think they only have one guy in Ananobi that I look at as like a great defender. Like I think like Robinson and Hartenstein, I think are good. And of course they would have to be healthy. Let's hit another of these real quickly. Should we do this one from Kyle? This um, is a good one, right? Yeah, that, that was the one I was yeah. looking at. Um, is Dante DiVincenzo the budget Clay Thompson? And so the idea there would be high volume shooter who can, who can make some, who makes them at a reasonable rate and then who can defend ideally point of attack like that. If, if you're saying budget Clay Thompson to me, those are the required elements. Do you agree with me on that? Well, I think there's two other things uh, that I would point to. One would be a guy that you can run actions for that the opposition is so concerned about that they're either like putting two on the ball when he comes off the screen or they feel like they need to switch everything out in the perimeter. And then it's not only point of attack defense, it's also having the size to switch on to larger players, which Steven Chento does not have. So, I, you know, budget Clay Thompson. Yeah, I think like and the way that Steven Chento is shooting it is really exciting. But he also he kind of is more spot up really deep and get it off quickly or shoot it quickly in transition like he's not like firing on the move coming off of screens necessarily so you're so much i think of players is not just what stats they put up but can you run something for this player that the defense has to react to in a certain way that you can then get something out of that and like his gravity is good by it's not to the point where it's like, oh, we just we ran a wide pin down for DiVincenzo. Like we got to like put two guys in the ball here and prevent him from getting his shot off. Uh, and Kyle goes a little further than that. He says, I believe he'll be more undervalued on his deal than Jokic is by the max. And I Nikola Jokic, like the max player right now, like the best player in the league. And Jokic, you know, a guy who basically is like a 50 win team by himself that if Jokic is making 40 million, that's like an 80 or 90 million dollar player right now, maybe even a hundred. So DiVincenzo, if he's, I would say maybe he's, you know, a 20 to $25 million player the way he's played this year and he's making 12. So I, I wouldn't agree with, with Kyle on that one. Any of the rest of these speaking to you? Yeah, no, I mean, we should, let's try to do them all. Uh, okay. Nick's at full strength. How do you assess the matchup for the Celtics? I think they do have trouble dealing with Porzingis uh, and the spacing. And I also think that the Celtics are pretty well equipped to guard Jalen Brunson and they have and, so many dudes like yeah. on Jalen Brunson and not that Brunson hasn't been successful against them now Randall actually could be interesting because he'll have the strength advantage against some of these guys but I ultimately think that the Knicks don't bring enough ball and player movement 
they're not a great passing team and that they don't have enough shooting to really deal with the help defense and the intelligence and the multiple looks that the Celtics can can give. Uh, um, yeah. So from from Swagness, uh, the Knicks cap situation over a five year horizon. The good news for New York is that they they don't really have bad contracts on their books. They have a lot of players who are good. The challenge on a time horizon is they're eventually going to have to pay these players market value. OG and Anobi, that's presumably going to start with 24 where he can opt out and get something. Jalen Brunson, that's going to start in 25. So to me, the cap space aspirations of the Knicks are probably very limited unless they're saying goodbye to some of these guys. However, they should, emphasis on should, have the means to make a trade and like like with players that teams would be interested in and then be able to handle the team that results from that from a salary perspective. So I think it's hard for them to add through free agency, but it's relatively palatable for them to add via trade. Another interesting thing to note for them is Brunson probably is unextendable. I would agree. Uh, 140% of the $25 million that he's making next year. Maybe he does the team a favor and just takes that a max four-year extension there, but he probably needs to go to free agency to get what he actually is going to deserve. And that's going to be an interesting one, too, because he'll be 29 when that deal kicks in. And if he's going to make 30% of the salary cap on a five-year deal starting then, like that could be interesting. Uh, as since he is somewhat of an undersized guard, let's get to the magic. Orlando is 29 and 24, 7 and 4 since last 1560, including a win over the Chicago Bulls on, I believe it was, I believe it was the Bulls that they beat on Saturday. I know I watched it, part of that. It game. was, yes. Yes. And they are, have a positive net rating. Uh, 0.9 is 16th in the league. They are 24th in offense and a strong fourth in defense. BPI projects them to be the sixth seed in the East, 45 and 37, 89% chance of making the final eight. And I think we could start with this one from John. The Magic seem like a team that's clearly taken the next step towards being a play-in team. Wholeheartedly agree with a real chance to get to a series, but not much more. Looking ahead, but how should they approach the offseason after doing nothing in the deadline? What should they be looking for? And the central question for me with the Magic is, can they bring in the best offensive player on the team? Someone who can shift Bancaro and Franz Wagner down, even if it's more in the first 40 minutes of the game rather than the final eight. And especially if they can do so without completely compromising their defense. And there, we, we got a question from Costa about Trey Young. Trey Young would certainly be an opportunity if you can try to make it happen. But if they can, especially if there's a somehow a way with the picks that they have and everything else and some filler salary to do so without giving up Jalen Suggs, because then he can take on those best offensive players on the other team. Then we're talking to me about a team that can win multiple rounds. Yeah, they just got to get more shooting. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Like the defense is good enough. You're, and I mean, the other thing that's got to happen for them to win multiple rounds is just that Franz and Paolo have just got to continue to get better. Sometimes guys' development stagnates. We hope that they're going to get there, but uh, it's going to be. Uh, that kind of development is not assured by any means, but hopefully by getting some more shooting, you can really help out. I mean, Jalen Suggs is good enough that I think he's going to be in most of their groups that close games now and certainly to start. And so that means that you got to get shooting at point guard and you got to get so at least some passing at point guard or you got to feel or Wendell Carter has got to just like start going crazy as a three point shooter himself. 
uh, and to, because they just don't have enough shooting to be a top, even a top half of the league offense right now. So it's not just getting creation at the one, but you also need shooting. And then hopefully that guy doesn't suck too badly on defense, but he probably will. Probably will. And from Stephen Red, top free agent targets for the Magic, the challenge is this 24 is a terrible year for what the Magic need. There just aren't, there aren't players like we were presuming that quickly is going to be functionally unavailable because the Raptors have match rights. Maxi, obviously the Sixers would match anything on him. So maybe you like roll the dice on a lower end player. If you can get them on a salary, you're happy with like a Malik Monk and you kind of get some of the, yeah. you get some of these pieces. Kobe White would be an amazing sure. fit as well. I mean, I don't think that the Bulls given their proclivities would ever move on from him. Uh, but I mean, the, the big thing that I, I think like the single trade I probably most want to see in the league right now, just in terms of like fair trade guy is languishing would help this guy be relevant would help the team be relevant is just simons to the magic like that sure. is that is like one of that's why i really tried to work so hard on that in the in the mock um anything else on that one can we move on to this isaac question we can move on to the isaac question so it comes from chris wheeler john isaac is now closing games for orlando with the five next to one of carter how you define positions there is, is complicated should orlando look to keep isaac as a core piece and jonathan isaac is one hell of a defender when he can actually be on the floor and there are still gigantic questions about where he fits as an offensive player but there is this concept and i brought this up years ago when i argued rudy gobert is the top five mvp of him alone on defense and the idea that a player could be so impactful defensively that that they can handle that end and that would allow you theoretically to go after different players there are times when isaac is that guy well the most encouraging thing is that isaac has actually been able to play more minutes. He's played a couple of entire fourth quarters lately. You know, he closed the Minnesota game, which they won in Minnesota in exciting fashion, the Detroit game, and then this last one against the Bulls. That was against Batadze or with Batadze rather than Carter. I would consider Carter to be the center when those guys pair up. And so that now leaves you with Franz at the two and Paolo at, at the three. And then who have they been going at guard with those groups? A lot of times it's been Jalen, at least in the Minnesota games, it was Jalen Suggs at the one and they took out Marco Fultz and didn't play Cole Anthony either. I mean, that is a quite the bear of a defensive group to go against with just incredible size. I mean, the weakest defender is no one. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it would be like Paolo trying to guard the three or something, but that's still that's still pretty good. Or, or you know, Franz might be a little big for some twos trying to go around screens, but then you can do a ton of switching as well. I mean, you can really you can switch one through five with that group if you want to because you have the supplemental rim protection with Isaac. So uh, Jonathan Isaac, if he can just stay healthy and play 20 minutes a game he's absolutely worth his 17 million dollar non-guaranteed salary for next year I, I would hold on to him given the realities of the market now and they have 65 million in cap space next off season so yeah hold on to his 17-4 fine that's not going to prevent you from doing anything that you want to do I, I mean it is really exciting now he's another guy who's an under talented shooter at his position right he's basically just going to take corner threes and maybe the future would be him closing at center next to Franz and Paolo and then you still get your Jalen Suggs and then another like good shooting guard who can do some stuff off the pick and roll in there as well. Maybe that's where you have to go because you're just again so limited on shooting. But no, like they he, to say he's 
you never are going to like count on him until he's been like fully healthy for a year. But the fact that he's been able to come back, he's had a couple of setbacks. Now he's able to play entire fourth quarters, play 20 minutes a game. That's big. Like the guy's really good defensively, even after all the injuries. Like, like that sequence when he has like blocked Giannis at the rim like twice in a row. I mean, he, he like it is incredible. Like it, he never even had like the biggest numbers in terms of like standing reach or wingspan, but he just he's massive. Like he just gets off the ground quickly. He's got amazing timing at the basket. Jonathan Isaac blocking 7.5% of opponent two so far this yeah, year. That, that is, is a deranged number for someone who's not a center. It is. And hey, he's just incredibly talented. And so we'll we'll see where it was. Hopefully we'll get to see Isaac in the playoffs this year. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, quickly here, if you were the Magic, what would you offer for Trey Young? Would you move Franz Wagner? No, I don't think I would. Although it is worth noting that Franz is going to be expecting a max extension going forward. Now, if you could tell me that I knew Jonathan Isaac would be healthy and was just going to be my four, we'll just play Paul at the three, then maybe I would consider Franz for Trey. But I, you just... Like those those two guys together make things so interesting for you uh, as the Magic uh, with their size. Would you do a whole draft Mitchell like package? No, I don't think I would get to that. Trey is what's his contractual situation right now? How many years does he have left? He has after this year two and then a player option. Yeah, so Mitchell had three, and he's also I think just better and younger than Trey. Just has more stature in the league. He's Mitchell was a defensive liability, but he's not an athletic liability. Like Trey just can't get better. Mitchell actually has gotten a lot better in Cleveland. So no, I think it would be more along the lines of some of the young guys, and you know, I definitely wouldn't do four first. Maybe it'd be three, but one of them would be in the year in question. So you're basically only go like trading two future first, right? Like if you do it at the draft in 24, then you could trade your 25 and 27 so that you're not just like so impacted into the future. It's unfortunate for Orlando that like they don't really have superfluous young players. I mean, I guess if maybe if Anthony Black, they they kind of felt like he was a little. Yeah, bit Anthony Black, or you know, I mean, Jet Howard has been uh, a relative non-entity so far. I mean, he's superfluous. It appears with the Magic, so I don't know. That, <laughs> I don't know that it counts that way. Um, so like that, it's tough. Um, and and then you think about the factor that they brought up Trey Young. So he has a player option for twenty six. There are good things and bad things about that. The good thing about that is 26 is the year that Paolo Bancaro's new contract is going to kick in, and then Franz would be a year before. The downside is you're still going to want Trey Young on the team at that point, so it's not like you're sunsetting him and then doing everything else. So that team could get really expensive. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
The Sixers are 31 and 21, but a mere three and eight since uh, we last checked in on them. Uh, Bodner called their game at Washington last night a must win, which it kind of was because uh, they have a pretty tough schedule coming up. But they are now seventh in the NBA in net rating at 4.6. Uh, gone are those halcyon days at the end of December when they were like a plus 12 after fattening up on the nadir of the Spurs and Pistons and Wizards. Ninth on offense, 119. 10th on defense 115 and they project for a 46 and 36 record fifth in the east but i mean that's not very much above uh, the likes of the teams in the plan 96 percent chance to play us remember by the way danny when they were they had some like crazy 100 percent chance of making the playoffs like in december and i was like ah, i don't know if i would go that high because what if joel Embiid gets gets injured or something uh yeah, I would I would still not give them ninety six percent chance of making the playoffs. Like I, I think they could I mean if you're in the play and you do not have a ninety six percent chance of making the playoffs, and I think they have you know at least a fifty fifty shot at being in the play in right now. We'll see how much healed and company help them. I, I wanna start briefly with this question from I am just H. Um, can you speak about potential salary cap crunches this summer and how the Sixers can leverage their cap space? I don't think the Sixers are a particularly good team to do that because they need to be hunting bigger game. You know, they need to be getting better players. So there could be teams like the Hawks and a few others that are looking, the maybe Minnesota, depending on how the season turns out, that are looking to shed salary. But I don't think that the way for the Sixers to build the best possible team forward is to like pick up a Bogdan Bogdanovich or a few of these other players instead of like going after guys who could be potentially the third best player on the Sixers moving forward. Yeah, they may end up stuck there, but uh, that's obviously not their initial intention. A couple of Joel questions. This is one, uh, a point that actually I probably should have made when we were discussing his injury earlier from Don Bertans. He says, does Embiid need to lose weight to preserve his lower body? Not that he's fat or that his body doesn't give him an advantage, but the injuries are piling up. Tim Duncan in the late 2000s did something similar that I think allowed him to maximize his post-30 career. And I think, yes, 100%. I think that Joel just does not have a particularly svelte body. Now, he is extremely effective out there on the floor. So it's... I, I, but I'm not going to say like, oh man, if Joel lost 20 pounds, he just, he like wouldn't be strong enough to move guys. Like that's obviously not the case. We've seen Nikola Jokic get into much better shape. That is something that really has unlocked his game. And if you go back and look at the pictures of Joel his first couple of years or when he was at Kansas, like he's put on a ton of weight and I, he dominates when he's out there on the floor. So it's very easy for him to not address this. But no, he absolutely does. Like he just doesn't have the body of like most NBA players. Like he just has more fat on his body than most people. And that's not to shame him in any way because, you know, from like an appearance standpoint or something, but it's just having less weight like that weight doesn't help you perform more as an athlete. And it's not always getting older like that happens. Actually, no, like you can. Okay, maybe if you're 45, that's the case, but he's 30. Like you like through diet, you and this idea, oh, well, he's he's taking time off. So now he's going to balloon up like, no, you, you just eat less during that period. Like it's not that hard to do. And so like he does need to do that. Absolutely. Like these are injuries that definitely are exacerbated. Like I've experienced this myself. Like when I weigh less with my bad knee problems, I feel much better and I'm much less likely to get injured. Like that's true for anybody. 
So yeah, I, I think that is, I don't want to say it's under discussed, but it's definitely something that I think is true that he does not take good enough care of himself. And that's part of why he has these injury issues. From Felix, um, can you explain why people think Daryl Morey is a good general manager? Because he is. And you think about the, there are a number of different things that general managers do. But for Daryl Morey, like he, they had a, they had a decision this year with their coach. They got rid of Doc Rivers. They hired Nick Nurse. It's very hard to argue that that was a poor decision. And Morey, he does value flexibility. I think at sometimes maybe a little bit too much. And and I've I've wondered about this about the Sixers for a little while now. That's like they're striking while the iron is hot is nice but there might not be a hot iron left anymore with how the 24 offseason is looking but maybe you can do that but you also think about some of the timing and some of the other moves they made i mean like ben simmons was having this you know have, have basically refusing what, to play what, like do you have any idea how fucking great of a trade that was have you seen what ben simmons has does done you know like we're going to record worst contracts in the nba pretty shortly here and ben simmons is going to figure very highly even with one year left on his deal he's been ben simmons has been the worst contract in the nba for the last four seasons and they were able to get an all-star for him and and they gave up very they gave up like you know a pick in the 20s and then another top eight protected pick and i mean and and then the harden thing he handled perfectly as well right like okay he pissed off Harden. like they I mean, they're they're not better now without him because Joel is out. But like their team overall was better, I think, for not having Harden and for releasing Max. Like, yeah, he's an he's aloof, but he definitely is not a buffoon. And are there a few situations maybe he could have managed with a more emotionally intelligent approach? Possibly, but that attached detached approach has provided way more benefits than it has negatives. And I mean, like, think of where would the Sixers be? If they still had Ben Simmons right now, what a fucking disaster. Like Joel wouldn't be on the team anymore if they still had Ben Simmons. He also had the vision that basically like moving James Harden for a couple of more what you would call role style players that there was there was a successful team in there giving yeah. more of the responsibility to Tyrese Maxey. And yeah. so the Al Horford it, trade worked out great for them. Also, like what he inherited was pretty bad. Like, let's not forget that they had some high end talent, but they had a lot of like toxic fits with each other. And now they have pretty clean books and they have, I mean, Joel's injury present in history is a concern, but like their pat, like, so one of the things that I like to think about is kind of organizational optimism. Like, how are you feeling about like where a team is? And you think about that relative to where they were. And it's a pretty significant difference. Part of the reason I think that might be different is that there was undue optimism, like kind of un- unfair optimism towards the Sixers at certain points. Because, oh, Ben Simmons, he's a really good player. Oh, this other stuff. It's like, oh, they were headed for calamity and calamity avoided. And they've done well during the interim as well. The other thing I'll say about Daryl, too, that, that I do happen to know about him, aloof maybe is maybe that describes the the way in which he's kind of you know, had to make some emotionally detached decisions, but that guy really fucking cares. He's actually like one of the most insanely competitive people that I have ever met. Uh, Like I I remember in the 2015 West finals, and you'll recall that series warriors go up three zero Houston wins game four when Steph Curry, like probably suffers some kind of a concussion. And then 
they lose a pretty close one in game five but the series had been over i thought for you know almost a week by the time they lose that game five and it, but it was pretty close and like i remember seeing daryl is gonna you know go congratulate him on a good season and i didn't even end up going up to talk to him because he was just like completely devastated that they had lost and i'm like daryl like you guys the series has been over for a while like what were your expectations going into tonight but he was like he still thought that there was a chance like he still was uh, believed and he was like living and dying with the team until the, they eventually ended up losing that series when they weren't in my opinion anywhere close to as good uh and i think that 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 competitiveness could serve him wrong sometimes when you know with some, some of this like refereeing stuff and some, some of that focus that came out of the houston organization when they were going up against the warriors but it overall like i i he is not aloof in the sense of like not caring about the team or like what happens like I, that i i could tell you for sure we can move on to the Toronto Raptors. They are 19 and 34 on the season, a dispiriting three and seven since the last 15 and 60, though they have had some contacts with injuries and everything else. Um, negative 3.5 net rating is 24th in the NBA. They're 20th on offense, 22nd on defense, and BPI projects them to finish with 32 wins, which would be 12th in the Eastern Conference. That is the worst record of anybody who is not that bottom three. Please help us understand the Raptors' rebuild, says Andrew. And Jay asked, do you think the Raptors are starting their rebuild off in an intelligent way? It is pretty clear, uh, Eric Kareen and I discussed this at length on Real Jam Radio, that what part of what Masai Ujiri wanted to do was add players who that to not go all the way down you know like at least right away but probably ever and bring in you know Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett who could help them and also players that arguably could benefit from a change of scenery so the idea that it's a rebuild I think is I think the phrasing of rebuild is incorrect I believe this is more of a reorganization or a you know like a an adjustment and so maybe more in line with what Houston did a few years ago and and other things rather than like tearing it down I don't think the Raptors intend to have like top 10 picks in multiple years or anything like that so I think that's one place the challenge that the Raptors are going to have to deal with is that I don't think they're with with the trades of Siakam and Ananobi in particular and like, you know, kind of everything else that their overall talent level is that high. Like they have some good players. Scotty Barnes has, of course, taken dramatic strides this year. Emmanuel quickly is a guy that I like. They have capability at a lot of other places on the floor. You know, you have you have players that are capable NBA players, but they they don't have everything. And the good news for the Raptors is, well, they don't have everything. They can add those pieces, whether it's through cap space or through staying over in trades and everything else. So the theory behind it is Scotty Barnes is a good player. Let's get players who make sense around him. And ideally, Jakob Pertl can provide a defensive foundation, even though I'm not the biggest believer that Pertl is that consistently, even though I thought he could be in the, his better years as a spur. Yeah, and obviously the pick that they traded it really complicates uh, an ostensible rebuild uh, having that top six protected pick this year with uh, with Pirtle. But yeah, I think their their feeling is Scotty Barnes is too good right now to really bottom out. And I'm sure by next year's trade deadline, if this group is still really stagnating at about the same level that they've been since the trade, when admittedly not necessarily healthy, then perhaps uh, some additional changes will need to be made. A couple of oh, questions. Wait, yeah, go ahead. Wait, can I make one quick note? I, yeah. I will fixate on this over the last couple of months of the season if the Raptors keep going, if their season goes south a little bit more. 
in order to keep their pick, I think the, the 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 ideal would be to get to the fifth worst record. They're not getting below that. They're not getting or better. They're not getting to four or whatever, unless Charlotte. The, what happened on Saturday is is real. It is totally plausible for the Raptors to get to the fifth worst record. They're only four wins ahead right now. Memphis has been playing better. I would say overall, they've had some weird stuff. Like when Memphis has been closer to competent, I would say they've been more feisty. Yeah, they could I, I'm interested to see whether, you know, Bain and Smart, like how are they going to handle those guys returns? Yes. But I think when, when Bain and Smart come back, yeah, they might be better than the Raptors. Uh, and so, yeah. and, and they're only, uh, the Raptors only one win ahead of the Grizzlies. And then the Portland is fi- at 15 wins. The Raptors are at 19 as we record this podcast. I don't expect the Raptors to finish with a worse record than Portland, but it is at least within the realm of possibility. A couple of questions here. One from Dick's Dynasty, one from Ripley on RJ Barrett scoring and efficiency. Danny, overall, what are uh, the usage and, and efficiency numbers looking like since he's a wrap compared to in New York? It's pretty jarring. So RJ Barrett, 54% true shooting on 27 usage as a Nick, 62% true shooting on 23.5 usage as a Raptor. And that's a jump from two and from three Barrett shooting 38%, but only on four threes per 36. And then he went from 47% on twos to 61% on twos so far as a Raptor free throw rate hasn't really improved. And he's actually only making 66% as a 72% career free throw shooter. Yeah, a couple other stats. 72% at the rim as a Raptor, 62% as a Nick. Some, you know, I think his increased three point shooting is a little bit unsustainable. Uh, he's shooting better from floater range, career high best from floater range. That was actually always an, an underrated aspect of his inefficiency that he wasn't really able to be effective from floater range because he does generate a fair number of those shots. However, I mean, the other thing in addition to Barrett, now taking are making 72% of his shots to the rim is 44% of his shots are coming from there. And the usage is down 4% from 27 to 23, uh, which I think is more commensurate with his talents. Like he's not a 28 usage player in this league with any efficiency. Here's another fascinating stat for you here, Danny. And Barrett's been there for a while. Now. He played 26 games in New York, 17 in Toronto, but he has 15 dunks in 17 games in Toronto, and he had 10 in 26 in New York. I, I have another stat that kind of relates yeah. to that. R.J. Barrett, when he was a Nick this past year, but he's generally hovered. So one of the stats that um, that Basketball Reference has is the average distance of the shots you take. So like how far in the basket, and so you know, obviously threes can be a lot further and everything else. 12.2 as a Nick, and that was broadly in line. He was 11 or 12 pretty much every year as a Nick. 9.2 so far with Raptors. So he's he's taking he's making a higher proportion of his threes, but he's taking fewer of them, and he's taking a ton more shots around the basket. And I think if you can have at least some modicum of spacing, that is a better shot mix for RJ Barrett. Absolutely, yeah. And he also was taking 10% of his shots uh, from mid-range. Now that's basically nothing. Uh, and he's taking... Well, I shouldn't say mid-range, but uh, twos outside of 10 feet was 10%. Now it's basically almost nothing. What's the big difference? Way less pick and roll, number one. Barrett has uh, often been one of the less efficient pick and roll finishers. And that has remained the case in Toronto. It's even worse than it was before with uh, 0.65 points per possession, which is 16th percentile. That's miserable. It was 0.74 in New York. But pick and roll ball handler is 8% of his possessions in Toronto. And it was 19% in New York. 
The other, and I would say his transition is up even more than it was in New York. The raps run a little bit more. And I think he's probably benefited to me the most from this new philosophy that Darko Ryakovich tried to implement at the start of the season and you know, maybe didn't quite have as much personnel for it. They did do it. They were up there in passes and assists. But RJ Barrett is someone who, against mismatches, on the move, not going against a set defense, attacking off of a closeout or off a, a swing. I think it's noteworthy that handoffs are now up to 12% of his possessions from 8% in New York. And so that is, and particularly he's much better in handoffs because he's not like an unbelievable ball handler. You kind of want him coming off the handoff, head of steam, getting to that left hand and getting all the way to the rim. It's not like the wraps have like so much better spacing than New York. I think it really gets down to just more ball movement, cutting out the worst 4% usage of his shots, more transition, and then also just being able to attack against a, a defense that's not set as much and i think his efficiency will go down a little bit but we're seeing a much better version of rj barrett than throw him the ball and let him attack and smash his head into the defense i think he's just he's much more a creator of opportunity than someone you want to like run the main action through and so i think the raptors deserve any as well deserve a lot of credit for finding the ways to use him most effectively on offense and it's only 17 games but i think the shot mix being so markedly different is noteworthy and it, it's an indication of the type of player that rg barrett should be rather than the type of player the knicks kind of expected and asked him to be and one thing you brought up that the the raptors don't have great spacing they do generally have better spacing at the four which can make a huge difference power forwards shift so much on how a team plays and it, it's been a little you know like not having randall and robinson and randall has his moments from three but we can shift last in Arguably least, the Washington Wizards, 9-43 and 43 on the season. Pistons are hard on, hard on their heels, baby. Only one win behind. Well, and they're tied in net rating as we record this podcast. 9-43, um, and 2-9 since the last 15-60. Negative 10 net rating is, it's 29th, but it's tied for 28th with the Pistons. Charlotte's still behind them. 25th in offense, 29th in defense. Um, BPI projects them to finish with the worst record in the East. So that would tie in with that Wafo. Yeah. And they're not, of course, not making the playoffs. And I want to talk briefly on um, this question from Oren Levy. You, like, we have some interesting topics, but he asked about Denny Obdia's ceiling. And Obdia is having the best offensive season of his career by a pretty significant margin. 61% true shooting on 19 usage. Both of those are career highs. Part of that is sustainable. I, th I think that Obdia's twos, like making 57% of his twos, like that's a lot better. And he's taking shots. We brought, I brought up the like shot distance. His shot distance has also dropped a lot this year, making 74% in the restricted area. Now, do I think Obdia is going to make 39% of his threes as a 32% career three point shooter? Probably not. But the idea that he can be credible on offense in a slightly larger role. And then I think of him as a very capable defensive player. And so I brought up this idea that like Avdia and Koulibaly could be a part of the next successful team. You just need to overhaul everything else around them. Yeah. So Oren asked uh, what should have taken for the Wiz to move him given his play age and contract. I mean, lotto, lotto protect. I don't think you would have gotten more for him than a lotto protected first. 
it, it, but he's young enough that it kind of doesn't really make make sense to try to trade him. Uh, I would say uh, now. His, yeah, and his, I think his his contract is going to look better in time, in part because it's descending, and in part uh, as the league cap is rising, and in part because it's very hard for players on a team this bad to shine. And so, like, Avdia doesn't have the type of game that most, I think, fan bases and probably most general managers would be like, oh, yeah, he's the guy. But I still, I I brought this point up when I watched that Hornets game. Avdia is going to be an important player and a good team at some point in his career. I just don't know if it's going to be with the Wiz. Yeah, his shooting to be a starter is a little bit, you know, that's probably has been a little bit disappointing in terms of its development but his ability to get to the basketball now this is a team that hasn't played a true center a lot of the time as well like he, he's got more space there than normal but you know yeah i think he's like one of the few serious players on this team however khalil says why don't the wizards just bench pool he's not a serious player i feel like it sends a horrible message to the team and the players he keeps playing while being so unserious and the problem with benching him is it's kind of like that's it i mean and it's not like there's so many players that have any profile like they brought him in because he they feel he has some talent like he just needs to keep playing because if you just don't play him now you're acknowledging that and you know again when we talk about worst contracts uh he may figure just a slight mm-hmm. spoiler but if you just shut him down then he's just always gonna be on that list and they're yeah. not they're not going and, anywhere and- they need someone to create some not, shots on this team. So you got it. And this season is lost anyway, right? And it's not like the preceding condition is what it was for Ben Simmons, where it was like, oh, yeah, he's talented, but things have been a little bit weird. Like Jordan Poole, if you benched him, it's coming off of being terrible. And so you're not going to change that. And the other thing is you brought in a new coach, whether it's interim or whether Keith gets the job full time and see if they see if that voice in the room can really make a difference here. And yeah. maybe it can. Maybe it can't. Now, and, they and, should be using pool differently, right? Like I would actually see if I like I, they can use Obdia's passing chops a little more, try to run more through him and try to get pool playing the same way he used to play off at Draymond Green. Like when pool starts trying to do stuff off the dribble against a set defense it's almost invariably a disaster but uh and the idea of like oh man like he's so unserious like it's setting a bad example for everyone i mean like who does that mean? like obviously gonna play hard anyway cool bali is new like we've seen like the houston rockets have no trouble with the culture this year even though they had you know one of the worst cultures in the nba the last few years like you can fix that later i think it's more important to just try to get him back playing well and at least being like you know a bench level of contributor than to just say we're gonna sit you down because you're not playing seriously enough like his big brother is just not making shots like he just has no confidence right now like he's but then but then he's like then he'll periodically be like oh wait i'm supposed to play like i have a lot of confidence and he'll just like take even worse shots like try to get back to the what he was doing before but it's really like it also seems like physically he's not at the same level that he was a couple of years ago like he's not getting the same type of separation getting the basket the way he did uh in that 22 season with the warriors it is a concern um i'll say briefly two of the bigger pervasive um myths from fans are that playing time is the only way to develop players. And there are plenty of examples I counter this and the idea that culture is pervasive on the development of young players for the rest of their career. We don't, I haven't really seen much evidence that that is true. Like we've seen a lot of players change in situation or even just the team changed around them and have it be fine. Generally speaking, if the player, if the player is perpetually unserious, it's not because they played with those type of players. It's just who they were. All right. Quick one here from Carlos to wrap up today. 
Who makes the playoffs first over the next few seasons? The Wiz, Hornets, or Pistons? And what are the odds none of them make it the remainder of the decade? I would say like, you know, 3% or something like that. Extremely low. Uh, I would say the Hornets. I, I have the most confidence right now in their combination of talent and approach. And I mean, LaMelo is as flawed as he is. He is the best player on those teams right now brendan miller might even be the second best prospect on those teams and i probably would go kate over him but it's maybe close at the moment uh and i assume they're going to get a new coach in and, and i've got another huge reason yeah we don't know if their ownership is going to be good but at least they're having a new owner and so like we've seen how yeah. tom gores and ted leonsis have affected this and how yeah. like now, now i will say Le- leonsis you know i believe in like washington's management and their approach too but it's gonna it's gonna take washington a while they like, are so far so away far. right now i mean I mean, like part of what like the pistons just have so much more talent on their roster than the wizards do at the moment particularly talent that's going to be a part of a potential playoff team later in the decade yeah like and that's going to be a real challenge for them and then with with the hornets like they there's a potential that mark williams provides their defensive foundation and then i mean there's a chance that Lamelo ball provides their offensive foundation they have brandon miller there so and and theoretically something involving miles bridges whether it's keeping him or signing and trading him and getting a resource in that that then can help your team like they also have pretty clean books now that they traded rosier so I when I first saw the question, I actually thought Pistons in part because I also think that they're motivated to try it earlier. But I'd say I'd go Hornets one, Pistons two, Wizards three. Not because I think the Wizards are currently the best run of those three teams, but they're the furthest away as well. Yeah, and of course the next couple of drafts was something to say about that as well. All right. Well, we want to thank you for being subscribers. Uh, still got a bunch of interesting stuff coming up uh, this week before a much deserved All Star break uh, for all of us. But we'll have uh, some decent content over that time too. I mean, a little lighter schedule, but uh, definitely we'll keep it coming. And we'll talk to you all again tomorrow night. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.